welcome to Folk Roots Radio. I'm Jan Hall. All the best in Folk Roots Americana, singer-songwriters and blues, and artist interviews. On Folk Roots Radio, as we say every week, we're all about the music and the people that make it. Now coming up, we have a very special episode for you. We're giving it all over to a chat with Bruce Coburn about his new Greatest Hits collection, 1970 to 2020, which features 30 songs he's released as singles. We're also going to talk about his upcoming 50th anniversary North American tour, which was originally supposed to happen last year, but sadly was postponed because of COVID. That's a great interview. We had a wonderful conversation, and I'm so pleased to be able to bring it to you today, alongside some of my favorite songs from his new collection. So settle down and enjoy Bruce Coburn in conversation on Folk Roots Radio. Sunset is an angel weeping Holding out a bloody sword No matter how I squint I cannot Make out what it's pointing toward Sometimes you feel like you've lived too long Days drip slowly on the page You catch yourself Pacing the cage I've proven who I am so many times The magnetic strips worn thin And each time I was someone else And everyone was taken in Powers chatter in high places Stir up eddies in the dust of rage me to pacing the cage I never knew what you all wanted So I gave you everything All that I could pillage All the spells that I could It's as if the thing were written In the constitution of the age Sooner or later You'll wind up pacing the cage 
Bruce Coburn with Pacing the Cage, originally released on his 1997 album The Charity of Night, and now one of 30 songs on a new career-spanning retrospective, Greatest Hits 1970 to 2020, which was curated by Bruce Coburn himself. And after 34 albums, 13 Junos, thousands of shows across the world, and numerous other awards, including honorary doctorates and Order of Canada, being elevated to Officer of the Order of Canada, and then the Governor-General's Performing Arts Award for Lifetime Artistic Achievement, Canada's highest honour in the performing arts. It's been quite the career. And he's still going strong, still working on new songs, still playing shows. To learn more about this new retrospective and his upcoming 50th anniversary tour, And it's actually take two for this one because COVID put paid to the first version last year. We're pleased to welcome Bruce Coburn to Folk Roots Radio. It's great to have you join us today. (laughs) Nice to be with you. Thanks. You know, I was going to start things off by asking you how you've been coping with the pandemic. But, you know, the more I read about your career and, you know, I've uh, been enjoying the Rumors of Glory uh, memoir you put out that comes with that wonderful box set. But... Uh, You've seen so many things over the years. Um, Have you been able to take the pandemic in its stride, or did you feel like it really kind of, uh, you know, made you sit back and change things a little bit? Well, it it affected my family and me as it has everybody else. The isolation, which seems to have been a big problem for some people, I I didn't find much of a problem because I've I've always tended to prefer my own company anyway. (laughs) But... uh, um, at this point, we you know we go out to the occasional restaurant and we we order takeout food quite often and that sort of thing. The first year we didn't do any of that. We we did all our own cooking. My wife would go to the grocery store. I wasn't allowed to because she's younger and less likely to have dire results from getting COVID. So there were those kinds of considerations. But the biggest frustration for me was just not being able to do any gigs. The songs acquire their full meaning when they're played for someone. I can sit around and play them to myself, but you know I've I've kind of been there, done that. I know I know what's coming next. So 
it's uh, it, it's uh, it, that was frustrating. But we've got shows coming up, and uh, and hopefully those are going to happen. So we'll see. And I think whenever you go through a project like this, you know, 50th anniversary of the release of your first album, that was the the self-titled Bruce Coburn, it inevitably pushes you into a place of reflection, doesn't it? You know, you you looking back at 50 years? Yeah, it does. I mean, I, there are other occasions when one looks back. The, the, my daughter, I have, I have a 10-year-old, uh, and she will put on an old record. You know, the other day she put on uh, the inner city front. She likes playing, putting the vinyl records on, you know, and, and it was, it's weird to hear those things. The only time I listen to my old records is if I have to learn, relearn a song that I've forgotten that I think I want to be able to do. And, uh, but, you know, to sort of have it just playing in the room was, is always an odd sensation. And it is like, if in some ways, leafing through a photo album and you're looking at snapshots of, uh, of not so much of the events of whatever period the song is from as the feelings that went with those events. So it can be, can be amusing, but it can also be somewhat uncomfortable. And I think for the greatest hits collection, it's a it's a two album. Well, it's a two CD set. I'm not sure exactly. Is it a two vinyl album set as well? Is that a double, a full double? Or uh, is it more I, than that? I don't think we're I don't think we're doing vinyl on that one. Yeah, uh, I have I haven't heard about it anyway. I, it's it's just a double CD, and it's just it's just what the title says. It's the it it well actually I have to probably qualify that slightly. They, most of the songs on it were not really hits, but they were all songs that we would wish that we wished were hits. It's all the singles that we sent to radio, you know, and, and hope they would play. So some of them they did play and some they didn't. So, you know, that's the premise of the album. It didn't really require any great effort to curate it because it was just, oh, these are all the singles. There's the list. They're on the album chronologically. Um, I know, you know, I think that your first hit in the States was Wondering Where the Lions Are, right? And I think that was 79. So that was the first nine years before you finally broke through. That's right, isn't it? Yes, that's correct. And there were, uh, it was the first national hit in Canada, as I recall, too. I mean, there was radio play on a regional basis for other songs that uh, one day I walked, got some airplay in some places and... I forget what else now, various songs, but it was wondering where the lines are that sort of took it over the edge kind of. And then, and that also got, as you said, uh, got a lot of airplay in the States. So it put me on the map here or it started to, it was a bit of a toehold and, and also represented the beginning of what has turned out to be a lot of touring in the U.S. Right. And obviously you, you know, you now make your, your home there. Do you have particular favorite songs on on this album? I mean, are there songs that that you feel in some ways more special than the others? I mean, I think from our point of view, you know, as a fan, I mean, I look at the album and think, well, picking songs to play on this radio show, it's like I, you know, I could have picked half the album, you know, as favorites. So it's challenging. But are there songs that, you know, particularly speak to you even now? Oh, they all speak to me if I sing them. And I guess if I listen to them in the same, in the light of what I was just saying about, uh, you know, listen, hearing the old records, uh, uh, I mean, I don't sit around listening to those songs normally. 
generally I, I, I prefer the newer ones that I haven't heard as much to the older ones, but there's exceptions. And there's, I mean, some of the songs I, I really like, uh, singing. I mean, I've held that, that have held up for me, uh, as songs to sing and play. One day I walk, for instance, from way back and mama just wants to barrel house all night long. Those are, I can always pull those out and play them and feel good about doing it. And, you know, for example, I mean, there's others too. Uh, most of the ones that I feel that way about over the years are not the ones that are on the greatest hits album because they're sort of more, they're more obscure songs or songs that people didn't find themselves attached to, to the same degree, you know, of the, of the songs on the, on this collection, some of them I've played too much. I don't, I'm not that excited about playing them, but I will because people want to hear them. But a lot of them, you know, I've sort of been going, going back over getting ready for this tour, the, as you said, the, the second attempt at the 50th anniversary tour is, uh, looming and that, you know, invites a, a retrospective approach to the shows. In fact, I've, all my shows have always been that. I, I've always done a mixture of, of old and new and I will on this tour also, but it's, I've been kind of looking at the older stuff, trying to think what, what will I learn that I haven't done for a long time. So, uh, you know, I've been pulling out songs from that. Dustin Diesel, for instance, I haven't sung that live for a very long time and it gets requested all the time. So I thought that would be a good one, but, but that's not on the collection of greatest hits because it, it went never was sent to radio. Right, right. I wanted to ask you about cover versions being covered by a lot of people over the years. I mean, the Bare Naked Ladies, I think their their first big hit was what their version of uh, Lovers and uh, Dangerous Times, wasn't it? Yes. I wanted to ask you about one specific song that just came across a few weeks ago, the Fretless's version of Wondering Where the Lions Are. They're the fabulous Canadian <laughs> string quartet. And they've done something incredibly different with it. They've got an amazing vocal from a, a singer called Lady Phil. Um, have you had a chance to hear that song? Yes, I have actually, and it's very interesting. I, the, I mean, it is a it's a pretty serious departure from my version of the song, which I don't mind at all. I, I think it's it's interesting for me to hear where people might take these things. I I I think they did a good job of it. I, I it's. It's, uh, musically, it's in some ways barely recognizable. If you heard it in the background of, you know, a conversation or something, mm-hmm. and weren't really tuning into it, you wouldn't know it was the same song. But they, they they're singing the verses, and or she is, and uh, and and it's just it's got a nice sound. I, I like it. Yeah, I, I uh, would... it's a fre- it's a fresh approach, and and that the freshness, I I I appreciate that. I, I think. Like like Michael Acapinti's versions of my stuff, the sort of jazzier take on it, I, I, I like for the same reason that he's kind of deconstructed it and 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 come up with something that's that's you know that's that's his as did as has uh, Fretless also and 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 I like I, I think that's good. To another day, going 
had another dream about the lions at my door. The one half is fighting as they were before. It's got me thinking about eternity. Got me thinking about eternity. That's a clip of two recent cover versions of Bruce Coburn's Wondering Where the Lions Are. First up, we heard from Canadian string quartet The Fretless, with their version from new album Open House, which features Lady Phil on vocals. We followed that with Esmo, that's Elizabeth Shepard and Michael Ocapinti, with a live jazz version that goes on for eight minutes, and that's from their new album The Weight of Hope. Bruce Coburn is our special guest on Folk Roots Radio today, chatting about his new Greatest Hits collection and 50th anniversary North American tour. You've been an artist that's always strove to try and and, and do things different. I mean, I, I would always think that you're an artist that's very hard to pigeonhole as far as what you do. Um, yeah, that's a bit of a curse, actually, because it's very hard to market an unpigeonholeable person. <laughs> <laughs> But it, but we've we've managed somehow over the years, which is probably why it it probably did you feel it worked out well that you you know ended up you know working with Bernie Finkelstein as your manager and then 
you know, getting in on True North Records when it first started? Well, it worked out so well, I'm still doing it. Yeah. <laughs> 52 years later, I mean, it's, it's, uh, we started, Bernie and I first were associated around the making of the first True North album, which was my first album. It, you know, that was the story. He wanted to start a record company. I wanted to make a record, and Gene Martinek wanted to become a record producer. And the three of us basically created this little conspiracy that, that produced that album and, and, consequently true north records and you know i'm still with true north and i'm still working with bernie as a manager he became my manager a few months later shortly after the album was out and getting around because it was obvious that a lot of calls were coming in for shows and i was going to need somebody to to kind of steer the business side so did did you ever think that you would have the career you've had and i hate to say it that way because it almost thinks like you know, you, you're kind of winding up here, but, you know, we're going to talk about new songs in a few moments. But uh, did you ever think that, you know, the, you know, looking back, I mean, you know, at the start of the interview and, you know, talking about these numerous uh, honorary doctorates, I mean, everybody loves your music. I mean, Canada has recognized you several different ways. Did you ever think that this would, would be, you know, anything like what you would, would have happened in your life? I didn't really think about it at all. I, I, I mean, I suppose there was a big question mark floating there, but when I started, I consider the starting point from being the, the when I dropped out of music school at the end of what, uh, six, 1965. So the so beginning in 19 the beginning in 1966, all I knew was that my life was going to be tied up with music with with the guitar and i you know i had no idea what that meant where it was going to take me or anything it was just a, okay i took the step now to wait and see what the next step is going to be and those next steps have kept coming you know and uh it's it's taken me to where it has and and it's been a pretty interesting ride i have to say <laughs> i mean there's like anybody's life, it has its ups and downs, but but uh, it, I've had the opportunity to, to, especially on the travel front, it's been incredible to be able to travel the places that I've traveled and, and you know, have the experiences that I've had. I, I, I think that's, you know, not everybody wants that, not everybody gets it, but but I'll, I'll say yes to all of it, so mm-hmm. I'm happy about that. You got a dream 
Hi there, this is Moonfruits. You're listening to Folk Roots Radio with Jan Hall. From the 1991 album, Nothing But a Burning Light, that's Bruce Coburn with A Dream Like Mine. And you can now find that track on Bruce's new Greatest Hits collection, 1970-2020. to We're so pleased to have Bruce Coburn joining us on Folk Roots Radio today. Do you think about your your legacy? You know, it, I mean, you you know must. I mean, you know, I'm somewhat younger than you, and I'm thinking about you know making the best use of the time that I have and everything I see from what you've done. And we're going to talk about the new songs, as I mentioned a little later. But do you think about that idea that you know that what you're doing today is is laying down more of of what you leave when you 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 leave us and pass? Uh, well, I I I think that's. I think it would be fair to say that it is that. I mean, to the extent that anybody's around to notice it or cares to, I mean, you can't predict those things. Uh, so, and and it's never been that predictable. I mean, I've never taken it for granted that anybody's going to listen to my next album. Great, I'm I'm really happy that that it's worked out, you know, and and people have, but uh, and I of course hope they do. But um, but in terms of legacy, I, I've never really been able to think much about that. I, I, it's it, it's not going to be anything I can control. Where it comes into play is with my my family, of course, because they're you know m- my two daughters are going to be around presumably after I've gone, and the the degree to which the music is still with people might might have some effect for them. You know, beyond that, I, it's it's not up to me. I don't legacy. You know, I mean, there's this an old song of mine. It's a song on the same album as Wondering Where the Lions Are, called No Footprints. I have this. I have as big an ego as anybody else. So I like the idea, from an ego point of view, that my stuff is going to be important to people after I'm dead, and all that. You know, that whole line of thinking is there, but I don't take it very seriously because because I don't really respect it, and and what seems to me a more graceful thing would be to just disappear. But that said, I don't think that's how it will work out for one thing. And I also don't think that that's a kindness to my successors and my, my survivors, my heirs. Uh, so, you know, I think that it would be nice for them if the songs continue to mean something to people.
From 2003's You've Never Seen Everything, that's Bruce Coburn with Open, another track from his new double CD Greatest Hits collection. Bruce Coburn is our special guest on Folk Roots Radio today, chatting about his new Greatest Hits collection and 50th anniversary North American tour. So let's talk about this 50th anniversary tour. And, you know, I think everybody got really excited when you were going to do this last year. And I think it was announced not long before the the pandemic hit. Everything changed, right? Because I think that you had a big rollout planned uh, for the shows you were going to do. I mean, it's a big deal in anyone's life, 50 years, uh, doing something. But it, especially with, you know, with someone like yourself as a, an incredibly talented musician. How did it feel when suddenly everything changed? I mean... Uh, it felt... It, it felt... Uh disappointing obviously like uh, well i guess i shouldn't say obviously maybe i you, someone might imagine it would you'd feel relief but i but no i it was disappointing for sure i i just felt you know we saw it drop off little by little like the it's gonna it, we're there's a shutdown the next couple of months are going to be shut down and then we don't know what's going to happen after that but it became obvious pretty, you know pretty quickly that it was going to be longer than that and you know, it wasn't very long, but you just watched it. It was like, like watching the lights go out in a city or something. When when the power when there's a power failure, it's, okay, th- that block of shows is not going to happen. Yeah, okay, that other one's not going to happen. Now that's not going to happen. We had a whole year's worth of stuff booked, more or less, and and um, it was gone. So 
well, okay, you know, the focus is going to be different this year than what was expected. So you start off on the West Coast in December, then head off to the eastern seaboard of the U.S. Uh, in February, I think, with uh, spreading into the West and uh, into the Midwest before you come to Canada in April. Can you tell us a little bit about what people can expect on this tour? Uh, well, uh, um, I'm not sure what what will be happening by April, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but. Uh, Initially, I've you know I mean I've been working on a repertoire of stuff that to have it ready to play and and uh, it's the typical assortment of new and old that that makes up my shows generally. In this case, as I was saying earlier, uh, I've made an effort to learn a couple of older songs that I haven't been doing that that people haven't heard me do for a very long time. And then there's, of course, some newer ones and at least one brand new one that nobody's heard. Uh, there may be more depending on how it feels. The one thing that, that I find is I've always had a tendency to kind of do long shows, partly because I get in, if I get a, into a gab mode, there's a lot of time between the songs while I'm sounding off about this or that. Uh, but if I don't do that, then the, the shows are slightly shorter. But I've, but I've, I've always felt doing a long show was a good thing. Um, although I think the older the audience gets and the older I get, <laughs> it might not be so true. <laughs> so I, uh, but you know, it's a so given the fact that the, okay, you have roughly somewhere somewhere under two hours to entertain people, uh, and I've got you know however many albums worth of songs there are. You're, I'm, I always feel like I'm leaving out something that I wish I was doing, uh, because you can't fit, you know, I, you can't do a 30-song show. I can't. I think that people would get tired of that. I mean, some people do it. I mean, I guess the Grateful Dead were famous for doing stuff, mm. that shows that went on for hours and hours. But, um, you know, that's a special case, I think. And I, I don't think I'm quite made for that but but um anyway there's a limited amount of time and a lot of songs so i'll be trying to fit in as many songs as i can fit <laughs> but uh and it's it's solo shows right right now there's no band involved it's just me and me and some guitars and whatever else and is that likely to be the way it'll stay when you get to canada too i mean you know as i always love watching gary craig on drums so <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, i know gary's wonderful i, I mean all all the guys I've gotten to work with are wonderful. I want, I'd like to do more with my nephew, John Aaron Coburn, uh, who toured with me at the end of, like the last time I toured, we were touring as a duo with him playing accordion and guitar and, and uh, singing backup. It made for really good shows, and I'd, I'd like to do more of that. But right now, because it's all kind of tentative still, like we, we think these shows are going to happen, and, you know, if, but if there's another big wave of COVID, they won't, and so we, you know, I don't want to have uh, committed to any particular scenario. I, I, it's, I need to be pretty flexible uh, in these circumstances. So solo is the best way to be that kind of flexible. And I presume the same would be, it would be the same as far as you know, doing further shows beyond the North American tour you currently have. You know, I don't know whether there would be an opportunity for for people in other countries to see you again, that obviously would depend on COVID. Yes, very much so. And, and I, 
I mean, I'm certainly hoping we we had some. I don't know if we had concrete plans. There was talk of doing festivals in Europe this past summer, back before COVID. We were talking about about shows that would happen in Europe in 2021, but uh, but they didn't happen, of course. And so, you know, it's it's a wait and see on that too. And uh, I'd very much like to get back to the other side of the ocean there, but it, but uh, of that ocean, but. Uh, you know, we'll just have to. <laughs> yeah, of, of that ocean. Keep, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's. I realize that you know, I'm where the ocean I'm sitting next to more or less is going the other direction, uh, and and I've gone across that one. We've we spent July in Hawaii, or most most of July in Hawaii, and I wouldn't mind touring in that direction either. I mean, one of the last. When was that? Now I can't even think, but the the, the last bunch of touring I did included. Uh, four shows in Japan and, and it'd be nice to get back there too but but uh, you know there's so many places to go and so many obstacles at the moment <laughs> do, do you foresee that you'll you know you'll you'll play and you know w- work on writing new songs creating albums as as long as you absolutely can I mean it, it's just that's what you do and that's what you'll continue to do as as long as you can that's my expectation. I mean, I'm prepared for the fact that it might not work out that way. Uh, but but my model, I've said this elsewhere, but my my model for you know graceful aging is John Lee Hooker, <laughs> right? You just play till you drop, and and so you know if I can if I can keep doing it, I will. Right now, I've got nine new songs, I think. So I'm almost ready for another album. I need a couple more. You know, I'm, I'm actually quite anxious to get in the studio again and record these new songs, and and uh, and I'm curious to see what the other two or three that I have to get together will be. It's just there's so many variables. It's just uh, like you know, how long will the hands hold out? How long will the brain hold out? How long will you know whatever uh, the energy to to tour, uh, all that stuff? I I don't know. I don't take any of it for granted uh, at this point because. You know, you just don't know.
That's Bruce Coburn with People See Through You from his 1986 album World of Wonders. And now on his new double CD collection, Greatest Hits 1970-2020, a compilation of all the singles he's released in his career so far. Bruce Coburn is our special guest on Folk Roots Radio today. You put out a great four-song demo session that actually was put out as a live stream fundraiser for your church in San Francisco, the San Francisco Lighthouse. Yeah. Four song orders on a roll, us all, and when you arrive. Are those songs that are likely to be on the the next album? They they are yes. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So there's there's that four plus another five that I have, and well, four songs and an instrumental piece. Yeah. I wrote four songs in Hawaii, well, in July, which was. An unusual concentration of of uh, that sort of activity for me. Most of the time, you know, I wait a fair time, fair amount of time between songs. But yeah, but it just they just kept coming out. I I did want to ask you about the, you know, the the, the lighthouse because um, it it seems an interesting church, and I know you've been I think what Christian since 1976, I think. Uh, something like that, but I, I know uh, there was a, somewhere back there. Yeah, there was a period of time I think where you felt uh, alienated from the direction of uh, a lot of the way the the Christian Church was was going. And I was just curious because it seemed to me that you know, having had a chance to you know to watch the video for this demo session and then you know check out the the fundraiser itself, that this seemed to be a I don't know. I was almost saying that. Seemed to be a church that was very focused on on Jesus Christ and actually the man rather than you know the myth, I guess you know. And I just was curious, you know, you you've said I think in the intro to that that uh, you'd been there for a few years and it felt quite comfortable after some of the other places you'd been. I just wanted to to give you a chance just to talk about that because I sense you're a very spiritual person generally. It's always seemed to me that that it was important to pay attention to the spiritual aspect of life. Uh, there's a lot of different ways you can pay attention to it. I, I, I don't claim to have, well, I guess I do. I mean, I, I, I opted for a, a, a Christian approach because, partly because it was what was invited, uh, but partly because it was the natural way for me to go. I mean, I, I already understood the cultural element of it, so I didn't have to learn that part. Actually, far from learning it, some of it is stuff that needs to be unlearned, of course, but uh, there's, there's a lot of baggage there. In the 70s, I was pretty regular churchgoer, mostly in Anglican churches, or if I couldn't find an Anglican church, I'd go to some other church, but I preferred Anglican because I, I knew that service, and I could take communion there and so on. In the 80s and 90s, I, I didn't, I kind of got away from it, Early in the 80s, really, I, I moved from Ottawa to Toronto in a different way. I'd lived in Toronto a couple of times before that, but for brief periods. But but I kind of moved intentionally to Toronto, just relocated and and embraced the the human goings on in a way that I had not previously done. And I just never found a church that I felt I belonged in, so I just got away from it altogether. And when my my wife discovered Lighthouse here in San Francisco. She was going to it, and she was going. You got to come and check this out. There's really great singers, and there's this and that. Now, as it turns out, those great singers have, have all moved away. 
but uh you know four or five years ago when this happened they were around and and she liked the the pastor and and liked what he had to say and and liked the music and so eventually she prevailed and i i kind of went from going i not a, i don't think i'm a churchgoer anymore and it's been too long to okay i'll go and then i went and i walked in the door and i was hit with this wall of love that has kept me back going back there ever since until COVID, of course, and now we do it on a screen, but the love is still there. And, and so it's, it's suffered as have a lot of churches in terms of people dropping away and, and people moving away, but a lot of people have moved away from San Francisco. So if you watch the, or listen to the pastor, Jeff Garner, you'll, you'll hear references to the, the lighthouse diaspora because there's, people that 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 I knew from there and and that other people knew a lot better than me that just are spread all over the continent now and and elsewhere there's there's uh somebody tunes into the services from Sweden and sometimes people from the UK and and wherever but um but in actual numbers it's a small congregation but a lively one yeah well it seemed like it had its part in the right place which is what I particularly liked about it so um, yeah, it, yeah, it did, and and it just it was to me. I believe in things like signs in my own life, in my own subjective personal way. I don't, I don't know about, a, you know, I, I I don't sit around looking for signs of the apocalypse and stuff like that, like some people do. But but uh, uh, in my own life, I I will have an intention. That intention is frustrated, and and something will come along to replace it. And I, I realized if I had gone with my own intentions, that this good thing that just came along wouldn't have happened. And that's happened to me countless times. For instance, right, that's one way this, these things show up. And I, to me, Lighthouse is one of those. It's, it's okay, it's a sign to be more involved in the, in the communal aspects of the faith and, and of my relationship with the divine. So, you know, I'll take it, see where it goes. Yeah, and I think it's, I guess it's also important to, to make sure people, you know, people understand when you talk about the divine. I mean, you, I think you very much think of, you know, as the Christian path is just a path with multiple paths that recognize that maybe there is something bigger than everything we have here, right? I think the, I think the starting point is that, what you just said exactly, that, that, that there's something bigger than what we have here in the body. You know, there are some people who don't, like to recognize that or, or you know are some people laugh at that idea some people are threatened by that idea but uh to me uh, it was something i became aware of when i was still in my teens that 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 there was this other like a, a vast depth to reality that was not tangible in the normal way and and that 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 you know once in a while you get a hint of um, and I thought that was worth paying attention to. So, you know, so that's, that was the starting point for me. After a while of going around kind of trying to observe what that meant and trying to uh, kind of understand what, what that asked of me, then I was drawn toward the Christian faith. But I, I, I think we'd be foolish to deny the value of other people's faith and other people's insights. I think um, I mean, Thomas Merton, a Catholic uh, writer, Catholic monk and, and, and theologian, talked about 
Zen Buddhists, for instance, as, as technicians of the sacred. You know that there's exactly there's, yeah. there's a you know there's a whole there's a whole range of of this stuff that that other people have insights into when you read the Coleman Barks translations of Rumi. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's it's, there's wonderfully inspiring stuff there that points in the same direction. It doesn't. It may be, you know, I, I, well, actually, I won't go any further with that. I, I I'm not the authority here, but but I I um, I have my own feelings about these things. And but I I really think that, you know, I put this in a song a while back. God's too big to fit in a book. You have to be prepared for realizations and for the embrace of a reality that's that that's much bigger than our little ability to imagine and articulate it yeah no that's a that's a good way of putting it i i appreciate you you sharing it i've always felt that the uniqueness about your approach to music was that you know you were not you know you were quite open to saying yeah you know i'm a christian i've been a christian for a while but you have a very universal attitude to it. And I think that that really comes through. So uh, I do want to thank you for sharing that. The new songs, the ones that you did in that demo session, my, my sense was that they were very reflective, uh, you know, getting to the stage of life you're in. I mean, is this going to be a theme for the album that you're working on now? I think that's safe to say yes, too. I think that, yeah, the songs just come when they come and they come out of wherever they come out of it. So it's not like I sit around and plan based on uh, a theme I've come up with. But when I look at them, I see the same thing you do. It's like, yeah, this is an old guy singing these songs. <laughs> and singing, writing about being an old guy. I mean, it's not just that. I think Us All and Orders, for instance, from that little collection, I wanted to get that out in, in, a, in what felt to me like a timely way because it seemed to me that they say things that I want... That, that we all need to be hearing right now, you know, that our orders are to, our our orders said to love them all, uh, us all. It's like the human race is us all, and these these are sentiments that are obvious in a way, but but uh, can use reinforcing in this particular period we're in. So I wanted to get them out there. Love them all 
That's a couple of short clips from demos of two new tracks from Bruce Coburn, Us All and Orders. Now, the demos were recorded as part of a fundraiser for the Lighthouse Church in San Francisco and are available as part of a four-song video session on YouTube, which you'll be able to check out in the playlist for this episode. Lots more exciting music to come from Bruce Coburn, who's our special guest on Folk Roots Radio today. But And those, I don't think, have much to do with, with uh, you know, impending death or whatever. <laughs> but but uh, some of them do. I mean, uh, uh, when you arrive, it's... Right, I thought so. Exactly, that's yeah. exactly what it's about. Yeah, I thought that was uh, what. I mean, but, you know, I, I have to say, I mean, you, you know, you... People of a certain age, and you know, I, I, I don't have as many times around the, the sun as you do, but I, uh, I can, you know, I, I have reached that point in life where I don't want to waste the time I have and make the best use of it, and I sense that comes through really strongly. And I have to say, "Orders" is a fabulous song. I can't wait oh, to hear you. that. I can't wait to hear the final version of that. And yeah, you know, loving them all, I think is a is a great way of putting it. It's been a wonderful. Uh, interview. I'm so pleased to be able to talk to you today. We're going to finish with one of my favorite songs from, you know, it's very hard to pick a favorite album. This would definitely be one of my favorite albums. But we're going to listen to Last Night of the World from Breakfast in New Orleans, Dinner in Timbuktu, uh, which came out in 1999. Tell us a little bit about this song. What sort of memories do you have of it now? I wrote it at Linda Manzer's place in Toronto. I was uh, Linda was kind enough to offer me a refuge when the I sort of when the when the relationship I'd been in came apart and and I had to leave the place I was in lent me a room to stay in at her in her house in Toronto and so I, I was there and it was in the build up to to uh, Y2K right the, I mean it wasn't people were starting to use the phrase Y2K. And there was a lot of talk about what's going to happen when we hit the millennium, you know, all this dire stuff about planes falling from the sky and, and you know, many retrospectives in the media about the, what happened when the, when it turned to be 1,000 and what, what everybody went through and, and uh, you know, was it going to be like that? And so, you know, you're getting all this baloney, basically, about it. <laughs> about the turn of the millennium and it could be the end of the world and and, you know okay could be it always could be the end of the world and for each of us it's going to be the end of the world one of these days anyway i was reflecting on these things and and uh it got mixed up with the sam phillips who had uh toured with us in the 90s a couple of different times as an opening act Mm -hmm. uh, and who was a wonderful songwriter and, and a an interesting gal at one point after a gig in somewhere in the, in Northern California, we were walking, just, just taking a walk after the show. And, uh, I was carrying the shoulder bag that I always carry or nearly always that was loaded down with stuff. And, and she said, what do you got in that bag anyway? And I, I said, Oh, it's everything I need for the apocalypse. <laughs> and and in, my, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, there's a flashlight, there's, you know, whatever, Swiss Army knife, just whatever else. Uh, and she just stopped and she put her hands on her hips and looked at me and she said, what do you need for the apocalypse besides champagne and a couple of glasses? Hmm. Yeah. And I thought that was the greatest thing I'd ever heard. 
so I, you know, it stuck in my head. She forgot she said it, but uh, but it stuck in my head. So like, you know, it was probably two or three years later that I actually ended up using using it in a song. But but it's uh, it ended up being in the last night of the world. It's a great line. I love the line, and I love the song. And you know, you write great lyrics. What can I say? It's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure to talk to you today. This is Bruce Coburn with Last Night of the World from his wonderful new career-spanning retrospective, Greatest Hits 1970 to 2020, 50 years of Bruce Coburn, and he's still going, and I know the next album, when it comes, is going to be wonderful. Uh, He will be on tour across North America starting from December. To get more information on Bruce Coburn, go to his website at brucecoburn.com. And Bruce, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. I've enjoyed our conversation very much. Thank you. Canyon lime juice, it's 3 a.m. Blow a fruit fly off the rim of my glass. The radio's playing Super Chunk and the friends of Dean Martinez. Midnight it was bike tires Whacking the potholes Milling humans Shivering energy glow Fusing the spaces between them With bar throb bass and laughter
seen the flame of hope among the hopeless And that was truly the biggest heartbreak of all That was the straw that broke me open And that's it. That's all we can squeeze into this hour of Folk Roots Radio. And thanks again to all of our radio partners who help us bring Folk Roots Radio to you each week. We'll leave you with what is probably my all-time favourite song, from the 30 songs on the new Bruce Coburn compilation, Greatest Hits 1970-2020. to And it was a really hard choice, but I think I'm going this way. From the 1988 album, Big Circumstance, this is If a Tree Falls. You're listening to Folk Roots Radio, and I'm Jan Hall. We'll see you next time.
Spencer's. Through thinning ozone, waves fall on wrinkled earth. Gravity, light, ancient refuse of stars. Speak of a drowning. But this, this is something other. Busy monster eats dark holes in the spirit world where wild things have to go to disappear.